0: So hi everyone, I'm Corey Tanaka, and I will be the host of this episode of the Boom Podcast. So you know, just a little bit of background information on myself. I'm a fourth year kinesiology student at Long Beach State, and I'm currently doing research in the Movement Science Laboratory. So I'm looking at the effects of footwear on the biomechanics and muscle activation patterns of a one rep max traditional deadlift. But you know, enough of me, let's get into this week's guest. So he earned his bachelor's and master's degree from California State University, Fullerton. And he earned his PhD from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. His fields of research interests include strength training, exercise biomechanics, running, gait, and extreme sports. He is currently a professor and researcher at Long Beach State. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Kevin Valenzuela. So how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Great. I actually had a a good time doing some research on you for that intro. I mean, you've really done it all. I made this list right here. I'm just going to run through it real quick. You have completed Ironman triathlons, marathons, played soccer for decades, coached not only high school soccer, but also cross country and track. You had jobs as a soccer referee at an ice cream shop, as a busboy, waiter, cook, bartender, electronic salesman, statistics researcher, office clerk, human resources director, teacher, trainer, and landscaping. I mean, what were you running from? You had every single job out there. Just about everything imaginable, actually, at some point. So wanted
1: to try everything
0: yeah and I mean with such a diverse background in terms of the things that you've done how did you get into bomb I
1: kind of fell backwards into it actually in that I was when I was working as a human resources director actually I wanted to get out of it desperately because I hated being stuck in an office yeah sitting in an office from nine to five every day is not the life for me yeah so I was looking for a way out of it. And I'd always been involved in sports in some capacity as mostly a participant, but also as a coach and a ref and trainer and all that stuff. So I wanted to go back to school to kind of learn how to be better at coaching and training and getting some knowledge, some science knowledge to kind of support what I was doing with my athletes. And so I went back to Cal State Fullerton originally just to earn a bachelor's in kinesiology. And I went on the first day to talk to uh, the undergrad advisor we were talking, and she looks at my transcripts and goes, but you already graduated from here. <laughs> yes, I did, but not in kinesiology. Oh, well, that doesn't matter. Just go get a master's instead. Uh, uh, okay, I guess I could do that. Yeah. And so she sent me to the graduate coordinator, and he looked over my stuff and said, yeah, just take a couple of prereqs, and you'll be good to go. Nice. Okay, fine. So I went, took the prereqs, and started the master's program there, and then I just I had a handful of really good professors that just – made me enjoy the science part of it a lot more rather than just the applied part because yeah. they kind of combine both things so I was taking a biomechanics class one summer um, with a professor of mine and he just he taught it so well and so as he was teaching this kind of stuff to me this biomechanics information it made me realize how much I actually enjoyed that part of it and it kind of combined my skills with math that I'd always been pretty good at um, with the science and the anatomy that I was not good at. Um, But it allowed me to see a use for my actual math skills and how I could apply those to people, which was the interesting part, because I don't care for the math so much as I do for the people and the applied elements of it. And so he kind of opened that door for me and gave me a lot of opportunities to get into this field uh, on a more regular basis and kind of push me to where I am now.
0: Yeah, and you spending so much time in the Fullerton area, was there a big culture shock going into Tennessee? <laughs> there was a lot of culture shock going into Tennessee. Um,
1: growing up in Anaheim, where I did, was a pretty diverse neighborhood. It was about half Hispanic and half white, um, which fits my own background because I'm half Hispanic and half white. So growing up where I did, I felt very connected to everybody just because that's the cultural realm that I came from. But growing up in Southern California, which is, you know, pretty diverse culture wise, regardless of where you go in Southern California, obviously there's pockets of uniformity or homogeneity, but for a lot of aspects, we're a pretty heterogeneous society. And so I kind of grew up in this very diverse environment. And then I moved to Tennessee where it's 85, 90% white and a lot of non-white is not tolerated very well in a lot of circles so it was interesting to get to see racism in action basically in that we saw a lot of that kind of stuff Um, not so much in the university where I was but I spent obviously majority of my time in the university being a PhD program and we had a very diverse lab so that wasn't really an issue but being outside in the society there was a lot of it and so you saw a lot of that racism kind of come to light just in terms of how people treated you. Um, And even for me, I look pretty white. So visually, I was largely accepted, but on paper, I was often not accepted. So people would see a Hispanic last name and a lot of times just kind of discount me or they would find out that I come from a Hispanic family and I would get a lot of backlash for it, which I obviously thought was stupid because I grew up in this much less racist society of Southern California. So it was pretty big culture shock from that perspective. Uh, But obviously I found my pockets of people. and I met a lot of amazing people out there who obviously weren't racist. Um, And so I got, I got to experience both the good and the bad from Southern hospitality to Southern racism and kind of everything in between.
0: Yeah. And it definitely probably shaped you in the way that you're a researcher today Um, I mean, one of the things that I'm really interested in and enjoy about you is how unique you are, specifically in your fields of interest getting into that extreme sports part. Can you kind of explain the research that you're going to conduct that involves you jumping out of an airplane?
1: So this kind of started as sort of pipe dream in that when I was getting out of my master's, Uh, At Fullerton, we had a wireless EMG system in our lab, and I jokingly approached one of our professors about taking that and jumping out of a plane with it. And he's like, if you can figure it out and you're willing to pay for it if you break it, go for it. All right, I'm going to give it a try. So uh, a couple guys in my lab, we devised a system so that it would run off of a tablet. And so I stuck this tablet inside my wingsuit attach the EMG electrodes to myself, and so I just would push play on the tablet, zip up my suit, and jump out and get some EMG data on it. Um, And I didn't break it, thank God. Uh, So everything was intact. I didn't break myself either, which is good. Uh, But that was kind of my intro into this uh, more applied sports research scenario, obviously a slightly more extreme example. But it allowed me to combine the wingsuiting stuff and the skydiving stuff that I love with the new love that I developed at that time, which was the biomechanics stuff. And so I kind of figured out ways to merge these two things together. And so over the last few years, as I went through my PhD program, I didn't really get to do that research because we didn't have a wireless EMG system um, when I was first starting out there, so we couldn't do that. And so as technology has kind of evolved, they're now building EMG into clothing. Um, and more sensors in the clothing. So it's actually becoming easier to collect some of this data. Some of it just streams to phones. So you just throw the phone in a pocket and let the data kind of collect itself. But we also have GPS technology um, through things like fly sites, which I use to kind of measure the actual skydiving performance metrics. Um, And so I can combine a lot of these different data modalities. And even though they're not perfectly synchronized, We're talking about long trial periods anyway, so there's a slight offset, which I haven't totally figured out a way to correct yet, but I'm not sure that I'm ever going to because I'm not a technology software person, so integrating them is probably not going to happen on my part. Uh, But because we're talking about two-minute trials, two-and-a-half-minute trials that I'm recording these flight times for, I figure a very small offset in the data sequence isn't the end of the world as far as figuring out the bigger picture of this applied research. So we're still looking at muscle activation through wingsuit flying and we're looking at a variety of body types and sizes and suit types and sizes, what they're designed for, what the technology of the suit is, and we're sort of putting all these things together in one big performance metric, even though it's not one variable, it's a handful of variables, but it allows us to really combine what I really love, which is the skydiving stuff, and the science stuff, which I also love, just not nearly as much as the skydiving stuff. (laughs) But I get to jump every time I collect a subject, so
0: I can't really complain about that. And just as a reference for everyone, how many times are you going to be jumping out of that airplane thing for this study? Yeah, uh, about a hundred, probably. Goodness gracious! And I mean, that's not the only crazy experience that you're going to have or have had. You've also this is kind of a notch down, but you've also done international biomechanics research. Kit, uh, so can you kind of talk about your experience doing that?
1: Much like my foray into biomechanics, I kind of fell backwards into this as well in that when I first started at Long Beach, which was three years ago, uh, I was working in my lab one day and we had a tour group coming through um, from Japan. And it was a couple of professors and a handful of students who were touring the campus and our facilities and they're from um, the Nagata University of Health and Welfare. And so the professors that I met were in the physical therapy department. So they're, you know, along our line of biomechanics and kinesiology and what we do because they're both biomechanics professors as well. And so we got to talking about random stuff, what I was doing in the lab because I showed them around the lab and we were talking there. Turned out there was a lot of overlap between the research that we were doing. And so we exchanged contact information, just kind of kept in contact. And at Long Beach, we have a program called, uh, what's it called? professors abroad or something like that, where um, we can make connections with international universities, and we can actually get funding to go there and do work with them. So it kind of builds the international profile of Long Beach State. And so I applied for this, got some funding and got the entire trip paid for where I got to go to Japan and work with these two professors um, to do some studies or some pilot studies to kind of work out some kinks for what we're going to do. Um, but the best part was I got to go to Japan Yeah, and it was paid for by somebody else and we put together a great relationship the only downside was is I had to come home a couple days early because the COVID stuff started oh, so that yeah. entire project has been on hold for the last 18 months or whatever it's been because of COVID and not being able to do research um, in most places unfortunately so hopefully we'll pick that up sometime in the next uh, 6 months or so or whenever research becomes readily
0: available again That'll be fun to go back to Japan. Already planning it. (laughs) And I mean, I'm sure everyone listening, after hearing all of your crazy experiences, have a, a greater interest in biomechanics. So what piece of advice would you give to someone who is trying to pursue a career in biomechanics?
1: Research something that you really enjoy. Because if you get stuck doing something that you despise, you'll never amount to much of anything. You'll just get bored and you'll never actually be able to complete it. So if you can figure out a way to blend what you actually like doing uh, with what you're getting paid to do, you're all better off for it. And obviously we say that to everybody in every career imaginable. right? So that's not exclusive to biomechanics. But the difference is we as biomechanists, we're in a newer field and it's kind of opening up for us and that we're able to do more stuff. We're no longer confined to labs. We're able to get outside more and do more things. We're seeing more things like surfing research starting to come to light. I'm suspecting that things like snowboarding and mountain activities and free climbing and all that stuff probably isn't far away either. So if these are your hobbies, figure out how you can take the technology that we have now and study it because those are wide open fields. There's nobody who does wingsuit research. So it's wide open and everyone thinks that they have to have like the most complicated study imaginable. But the reality is if nothing's done, you can do the most basic things and it's still new. We don't know anything about these things. We think we know stuff, but it's all anecdotal at that point. So until somebody actually quote unquote proves it, and I know that proves is not a good science word, but until somebody actually shows that this is the way it is, it's anecdotal and it's suggestion at this point so if your interest is surfing go study it if your interest is baseball or snowboarding or whatever bungee jumping do it
0: up or if it's wingsuiting, come here and study with us <laughs> that's interesting actually the the whole surfing thing i didn't know that you can actually track like data in the water hmm? yeah
1: there's a lab in i think it's san marcos that has at cal state san marcos i believe they have a surf lab there So I know they have, uh, or I think that they have a pool where they do a lot of stroke mechanics, but you're also seeing as we get better and better mobile technology, they're starting to mount things to surfboards, or there are waterproof devices that we can put on people that data log, and not everything has to data stream anymore. These devices hold data, kind of like a USB drive, so it's easier to take these things out as long as you can make them waterproof, obviously for surfing, and study that sort of stuff. It's all doable. You just got to figure out a way to make it work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we have hit the juicy question. So this is the one that they always ask on the podcast. And it's, what is one of your greatest failures and how did you overcome it?
1: My greatest failure.
0: We'll stick to biomechanics.
1: Oh, I got lots of life failures. (laughs) I was already trying to think biomechanics. Um... I think it's probably the same failure that we all kind of have. And I have two. I have a teaching-based one, and I have more of a research-based one. And I think the research-based one is all about when you first get rejections on papers. And we work so hard. We go through so much data analysis and data processing collection and writing and revising. And you submit it to this journal, and you're super pumped about it. And it comes back, and it just gets lit up. It gets the proverbial red pen that never ends, and Mm -hmm. somebody just brushes your study to death. And it's pretty defeating. Um, I recently had a paper published that got rejected seven times. Seven times it got rejected. But it finally got published. Somebody finally accepted it. And it went through so many iterations because everybody saw something different. It basically ended up right back where it started because I changed so many things and then changed so many things back. So it's almost in its original iteration. And so it's, I think, frustrating for all of us going through the process of writing and publishing. It's defeating because somebody just crushes your work. Yeah. But that's what they're supposed to do. That's what reviewers do. But as a young student in this field, getting crushed is painful. And so that first time you get crushed, it's just it's hard to deal with. And you, know, you tend to feel like a failure, like you were doing so good with this study and you made all this progress and then somebody just cut the legs out from under you. And so I think that part's always hard. And I've gotten a lot better about dealing with the rejection mm-hmm. over the years because as we publish more things, we get rejected all the time. It's just part of life at this point. So it doesn't phase you so much in terms of making you sad. It makes you angry because you often don't agree with the reviewers, which happens pretty regularly. Uh, but as a whole, you kind of learn to get over that. So that part is a bit on the tough side. Um, I don't know that it's a failure necessarily because you you tend to grow from those sorts of things, Um, but it is hard to deal with. From a teaching perspective, you plan these great lessons and you think everybody's going to get it and the light bulb is going to turn on and then, you know, students fail the exam. You're like, what the hell? (laughs) How does this possibly happen? I explained this so freaking well. And it translates into like those student evaluations you get at the end of the semester because without fail, somebody will just abuse you. And it's like the review thing all over again where somebody just cuts your legs out from under you. Like never available, doesn't give good examples, isn't understanding, talks down to you, whatever it happens to be. But we tend to ignore all those other positive comments that we use. My scores as a whole are usually in the 90th percentile, so I feel pretty good about it. But it's those cut down comments that suck. Yeah. You got to kind of figure out a way to get around those things um, because they don't define the class as a whole. If 90% of your reviews are good and 10% are bad, probably doing pretty good in the grand scheme of things. But as teachers, we always think that we're going to get everybody and that we're going to please everybody. And then as we get older, we realize that's not going to happen. So yeah. not exactly a failure again, um, but
0: something that we kind of learn to grow with. And I mean, I looked at your rate my professor grade and it's actually pretty good. Too bad they got rid of those chili peppers. I wanna know, (laughs) chili peppers. And then, you know, after hearing all of your failures that you've had, is there any sort of inspiration that you look into after failing so many times that keeps you going?
1: Yeah, I think you kind of look back at when you do get things published, kind of how they're doing. Like, are they getting cited regularly? Are people using them all the time? I remember my master's advisor used to tell me that his most rejected article is now his most cited article. So even though a bunch of people turned it down, everybody reads it now because it's so well applied to what it was about. And so we can kind of use those performance metrics to do it. But I also look at it from the perspective of how many students are coming to me to want to do work with me. So like when I first started here, my lab was nobody. It was just me. And now it's grown and grown and grown. And now I think I have 13 students who work in my lab, which is far more than I can manage, but I'm trying the best that I can to make it work. And so I kind of see that as a good metric of me doing well. People are liking what I'm doing in some capacity or at least like me enough to want to come to work with me. And then if people start calling you about certain things, collaborations, you know, across the world or the country or different schools or whatever it happens to be, when people start to seek you out, that's kind of validating and it does make you feel good about what you're doing and realize that you're doing something right in the grand scheme of things. Even if it might not be occurring as quickly as you want it to be, somebody's coming to you for something. And then my hope is that at some point that skydiving research kind of gets validated and people start to seek me out for that. I mean, if the Red Bull Air Force wants to come work with me or get me to work with them, I would be pretty ecstatic to do something like that because those guys look like fun.
0: Yeah. And, you know, kind of just on the total opposite side, we could get into your accomplishment. So what is your greatest accomplishment that you feel that you've done, whether that be maybe getting results that were extremely gratifying or even just getting to where you are today?
1: This is a Personal accomplishment or professional accomplishment?
0: Let's stick with biomechanics first.
1: Um, I think just getting where I am today getting to the point of students wanting to work with me and even something like this, where somebody actually might want to hear what I have to say. Um, it's kind of validating. It makes you feel kind of good about uh, what you do. And just the fact that I'm getting asked to do new things. Because if, if you're not good at what you do, nobody asks you to do anything. They pretty much want nothing to do with you. So the fact that people are seeking me out for certain things, is kind of nice. Um, so that part feels kind of good. I think that's a nice accomplishment to go off of. but. I'm also getting now to the point where my students are starting to publish their own papers, work on their own projects, things like that. And so I think when we get some of these student projects finally published, some of which are in review right now, hopefully that'll kind of be a validating point. Like I walk somebody from conception all the way to the end. And so I got to see them through that entire process. And even now I have some students in PhD programs or working in labs across the country. So getting to see where some of these students go and their successes and the scholarships that they're getting and the opportunities that they're getting is pretty validating too, because it kind of builds that tree. And I mean, we can look at a handful of people in academics and they have this huge network of people who have kind of spider webbed off of them. And just to see how they sort of dominate the field as such, or extend the farthest into the field. And I hope that someday I can kind of be at that level where my tree branches or roots just expand outward.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was really hoping that your answer was going to be getting me as a mentor or a mentee, but I mean, getting to where you are is a good answer too. You got to prove yourself still. <laughs> and, you know, but seriously, getting to where you are today, it didn't take, like, it wasn't just luck. It took years and years of trial and error. I mean, you spent over a decade in this field. Um, do you feel like there's anything with all your years in this field? Do you feel like there's anything missing or underrepresented in the field of biomechanics?
1: Uh, field research, for sure. And I think that that's evolving where we're getting more and more field research. But I think like most sciences, this was male dominated for so long. And I think we're seeing and this is not just biomechanics, this is our landscape as a whole, we're seeing a huge shift in terms of gender and minority equality in the science aspects. There's tons of grants out there for STEM education for minorities and women and things like that. And so I think we're seeing a lot of growth in that area, which is really cool to see. And so we're seeing more and more of uh, minorities and women getting into these positions of power and succeed. And I think of like, some of the forefront names that we have in biomechanics, think of somebody like Irene Davis, and obviously a female, and she's basically one of the top two biomechanists in running. And she's dominating the field but I think of people like her who have kind of set that pathway and shown us what everyone is really capable of doing because she's obviously done phenomenal things, but we're starting to see more and more of that. And I think even to like our lab and you've seen it being in there, we are freakishly diverse.
0: Yeah. I think we have
1: maybe three white people in our lab, three Asians, a couple of African-Americans, three Hispanics somewhere in that neighborhood So, I mean, we're pretty well-rounded in terms of that. I think we're about 70% female. Um, So we're highly diverse in that aspect. So it's been nice to kind of see that diversity really stem outward um, and seeing how much it changes what we do. And, you know, women in biomechanics, uh, I think it's called the Black Biomechanics Society or Latin Biomechanics Society or something like that, some names equivalent to that, and just seeing their growth and the things that they profile has been awesome. And then if we can just combine all that with field research and see some more weird stuff like, you know, big air snowboarding or something, (laughs) that's where I want to see it all go.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just kind of ending things on an optimistic note, what's something that you look forward to in the field of biomechanics?
1: Trying out new and weird stuff. I want to be the person that they approach, like, hey, we want to throw this person off of a cliff. We want to send this person down a mountain. We want you to go down this ice luge or jump off a pier or a waterfall, whatever. I don't care. I want to be the person who gets to try all that stuff. But I just think taking care of this new generation, it's not even a new generation, but this new group of athletes who basically has largely been ignored. They've kind of been the outskirts of sports society, Right. But with companies like Red Bull and GoPro kind of coming to the forefront, we're seeing all of these groups that were, you know, largely outsiders kind of coming to the mainstream and getting more play. You know, you think of like skateboarding and surfing showing up in the Olympics now and not just the X Games when even the X Games was considered a mainstream thing. But we're starting to study these people. It's becoming bigger and bigger and more awesome to see them. Get what we've had in other sports for so long. And so we're seeing all this science technology be applied to them, which is awesome. And it just pushes the boundaries of what we can do. I even think of the stuff like wingsuiting, and we're watching the guys who are carving through mountains and stuff like that. And people think that that's like they just go up, jump, and do it. And then that couldn't be farther from the truth. They put a ton of effort into those kind of plannings. And so they go through GPS technology and topography maps and looking at slopes and elevations and gains and things like that and so utilizing all this technology to make their sports better and safer while ultimately allowing them to kind of push the envelope because that's the gist of those sports is that they do push the envelope you know you get base jumpers and big wave surfers and stuff like that they know what they're doing they know that death is only a matter of feet away but it's what they love doing and so if we can make that better and safer and allow them to do more things within it, all the better. So that's where I kinda hope technology goes and labs like ours kind of migrate in that direction where we're looking at those groups and seeing how we can make it just that much more awesome.
0: Yeah, that'll be great. Um I mean again, thank you for doing this podcast. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? Maybe plug any social medias or anything like that? I'm
1: on Instagram I have to remember at bro mechanics
0: bro mechanic. I'm on there.
1: Our movement science lab is on there at CSULB or at movement science underscore CSULB. Um, but outside of that, no people are always welcome to find me and email me if they have questions about random extreme sports stuff, by all means shoot over some emails at Kevin. at CSULB.edu happy to entertain any ideas or if you know Red Bull air force hears me and wants to do stuff. <laughs> Uh, that's a a call I'll take.
0: All right. Sounds good. And I mean, again, thank you to Melissa and Hannah for letting me host this episode. And, you know, I hope everyone stays safe out there and we keep working and just keep pushing the field of biomechanics for it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Student Voices, a series by biomechanics on our minds by students and for students. If you have an idea for an episode of Student Voices, or if you want to host your own episode, please reach out to us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com or tweet at us at biomechanics O-O-N. We'd love to hear from you. Let's keep these conversations going.